0: Hi, this is Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, and welcome to another edition of the Nebraska Way, where it's all about how Nebraska is growing and more. And I've got Clayton Anderson here. And now, you all may recall from one of our earlier podcasts that we had Clayton Anderson on before. Real briefly, just to kind of recap, Clayton, you're a Nebraska native, Ashland here, right? Absolutely. And you went to Hastings College, Mm -hmm. got your degree in physics, then went to Iowa State and got a master's in aerospace engineering worked for NASA for three decades. Mm-hmm. 15 of those years, you were Nebraska's only astronaut. You did 167 hours in space, or 167 days, days in space. Yep. Sorry, yep. 167 days in space. Uh, nearly 38 and a half hours in space, doing space walks on six different spacewalk missions. Mm-hmm. You've been honored with the exorbitant court of uh, honor. And yes. then you also have received NASA's Space Spaceflight Medal, uh, twice the Exceptional Service Medal. You've been recognized as a distinguished alumnus from both <laughs> Iowa State and Hastings College, right? And then you are now, with your new gig here, you are now the, the the president and CEO of the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum right here in Ashland, Nebraska. So you've kind of come back to your hometown. right? And um, you've also written five books. Three of them were children books. Mm-hmm. And you're also a professor at Iowa State teaching first-year students about aerospace engineering. Did I get all that right? Jeez, I'm impressed with no notes. No notes, nice right, work. exactly. Nice work. That's why you're the listening, can't tell that, but, <laughs> but if you got the video, you can see that. So now, if you want to know more about Clayton from our previous podcast, you're going to have to go listen to that podcast, okay? so Because today is about kind of your new gig. But first of all, let's just start off. So, you know, you're this job where you're an educator. You've got the aerospace, space. Background here. Now you're here at the Strategic Air Command Museum and Aerospace Museum. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a really the perfect combination of your engineering background and your education background, right?
1: We hope so, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that uh, folks might be interested in knowing how this came about. Well, I says, um, that's where I was going to go. It's like, so was this like
0: your dream job? Like because it's kind of the perfect combo to it. It was like you were growing up going someday I wish I could, well, actually, no. the the museum hasn't been around that long. You're about to celebrate your 25th anniversary. We'll get to that in a second. Right, right. But, so how did you end up with this job where you're really kind of combining a lot of your, you know, you had a fantastic career already Mm -hmm. where you were in space engineering and now you're combining it with education, which you've been doing. How
1: did it all come about? Well, um, I was on the board here for the past three years or so, uh, having joined, at the request of the previous guy that was the president and CEO here. So I'd spent a lot of time in board meetings up in the area, in the museum. I knew what we do here. I knew the folks that were involved for the most part. and um, But the job of being president and CEO was nowhere on my radar. And uh, it would turn out that, unfortunately, the previous gentleman, is, is ill. He's got stuff he needs to deal with. And the best place for him to deal with that was on the East coast at John Hopkins. So he resigned in April and, uh, some folks came to me and they, some board folks and some other uh, people behind the board that said, Hey, would you be interested in doing this? And (laughs) I remember the first lunch meeting. I said, well, I'm not saying yes, but I'm not saying no either. And I went home and chatted with my wife and my family. We prayed Always a lot. Always a good call. Prayed a lot about it um, and got to thinking. And we went to church the Sunday after the luncheon meeting. And the pastor gets up. And his sermon that day was, God does not call the equipped. God equips those he calls. And my wife oh, great elbows me in the ribs. She smiles at me and we, we talked some more, we thought about it some more. Uh, the folks that wanted me to come do this job came to Houston to visit several museums to get ideas uh, and met with Susan and I, my wife, and uh, asked me for the, the time if I was interested in doing it and we agreed and said yes. Uh, I've been here since May the 5th in this position uh, and I'm drinking from a fire hose still, right. but it's, it's all good. And if you look at my background as an astronaut and as an engineer and as a NASA guy, uh, I do think it's a great place for me, but even more so because the doors of this museum opened in May of 1998. Right. That was one month before NASA called me and asked me to become Nebraska's first and only astronaut. And when these doors opened, and the fact that the museum is built on hills that I ran around with on as a kid, and my house is three miles from here, where I grew up. So we, my wife and family and I, we consider this a God thing. Uh, My son and his wife are here in Omaha. My brother and his family are here. My uncle's running for mayor of Ashland. Oh, wow, there you go. And a plug for Jim Anderson. (laughs) And uh, My sister's in Aurora with her husband. Uh, so Which is not too far away. Exactly. So coming hours, home, yeah. uh, it seems like the right thing to do, and I'm hugely excited for what we can do here in the next 25 years. Fantastic, fantastic.
0: So for our viewers and listeners that maybe don't know about the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what it is, uh, what it's about? I mean, actually, one of the things we got right behind us is here is your spacesuit from when you were on the uh, the missions with the uh, you know flying up into space with the Russians. Mm-hmm so that gives a little
1: bit of a clue about what this place is about but why don't you talk to us a little about what's the mission what are you trying to accomplish here so originally this place has now been open for 24 years with the 25th next year and it's been typically uh, a museum of history of and of the cold war and deterrence right how america was able to protect our democratic republic through deterrence and innovation. So if you look through all the aircraft here and the and the cool things that we have, that thread of deterrence runs through everything. Right, and of course that was
0: the mission of, then it was called Strategic Air Command. Exactly. Exact. Now it's called STRATCOM, Strategic Command. And that was a mission going mm-hmm. back to 1948.
1: Right. And and the, the all these airplanes used to sit on a tarmac at Offutt Air Force Base out in the elements. And some very visionary people and some folks from SAC at the time decided we need to build a facility and we need to bring businessmen and leaders and military folks together and put all these wonderful aircraft and memorabilia in a building to protect them. And that's how this place was born in 1998. But now we're at a... A time where we need to revitalize the museum and we need to take that historical um, thread of deterrence and the innovation that came from America trying to stop the Cold War and and defeat the Red Horde in Russia and all that, we need to tie that now to the future of spaceflight with SpaceX, with NASA's Artemis program, with Blue Origin, with Virgin Galactic, with orbital hotels and asteroid mining and all those cool things that seem to be on the horizon for the world we want to begin to bring that flavor in and tie it with the history cool so talk a little bit about
0: that because you mentioned how kind of the origins of this and I actually as a kid I remember going to that Uh, first museum down in Bellevue where the planes were all outside and frankly the concrete was cracked and you know and all that sort of stuff it was not a great presentation for everything this is a beautiful presentation for it so it's been great having this resource here Mm -hmm. you talk about how it was originally about that but like if I'm a young person today when I come to this museum what
1: am I going to learn about? That's a great question, and, and one mm-hmm. of the important things is this is a place for youth, but it's also for adults. Uh, adults typically like to do the walking around, looking at a plane, and reading, right? They right. like to absorb that information. Kids, though, they want more hands-on. They want to touch. They want to feel. They want to do. And one of the things we have to do in the next 25 years is bring more of that interactive uh, sense to the museum. Right. Um, I've got a lot of ideas uh, that I've already begun to work on here to bring interactive uh, activities for. For example, uh, I'd like to bring an Aerospace Aviation Academy here with flight simulators for airplanes and helicopters and bring kids in to expose them on a weekend for a couple hours with a docent from Offit or a docent from the Omaha Police Department helicopter group to teach them how to fly in a couple hours, right? Uh, Other things like we're considering a tie with the uh, Challenger Center to bring a Challenger Center to the Midwest and bring it here. This is where it needs to come, right? We have one in, uh, the closest one is Denver and another one down in Kentucky, Paducah, I think. But we need one here in Ashland at the Strategic Air Command and Aerospace Museum. So to grow those kids, and to expose kids to the cool stuff in STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Here at the museum, give them touchy, hands-on opportunities. That's where we want to go. Cool, very cool. And
0: that's part of gonna be the mission then is to really inspire young people to get into those fields, to take a look mm-hmm. at studying you know all those uh, engineering, the math and science and so forth, but also thinking about a career that involves not just looking back at, say, the deterrence of the Cold War, but what we'll be looking forward in the future mm-hmm. as we talk about where engineering is going. Is that fair?
1: Absolutely. And, and the other thing to consider is one of the things we've we don't do well and i don't know about here since i just got here but we have a great restoration hangar over across the way we've got five planes in there being restored right now yeah the british ball the vulcan bomber i the saw the vulcan that. bomber I've seen that plane
0: fly but not that particular plane but i've seen that exactly. plane fly aboard an air show it's totally loud cool. Yeah. And the and the
1: hands on things that kids can do, they don't have to be physics majors or aerospace engineers if they don't want to be. They don't have to be doctors. They can be uh, vac, air conditioning people. They can be plumbers. They can be welders. And and those are the skill sets that a lot of our guys in the restoration world use. And so one of the things I want to do here is open up that idea. I want to let people do some of the restoration exactly. work. Exactly. Like, oh, you know, if, cool. if we can figure out a way to find a, an old piece of a, of a plane and we've got several laying on the ground outside <laughs> (laughs) side, and you lay that out, and you have people who know what they're doing help kids come in and learn some of those skill sets, I think that's a great great segue into them going to a community college or or to wherever they go, because not every kid is ready for a university setting and to study physics and biology and chemistry, right? Some of them have different hand skills uh, that allow them to be just as successful.
0: Yeah, well, and frankly, in this day and age, you can get... When you like, you, know, you can go get either a certification or a two-year degree, and frankly, make more money than a bachelor's degree coming <laughs> out of college. I mean, the demand True. is there. True. That's one of the things that we want. Actually, we've got our developing youth talent initiative of trying to expose uh, uh, kids in you know seventh and eighth grade to those kind of career opportunities, so they can take that in a career academy in high school, and then follow up with that post-secondary education, whether it's that certification, two-year degree, or four-year degree. And if you start with a certification or a two year degree, you can get somebody, you'll work for somebody who will probably pay for your exactly. four year degree exactly. and avoid all the college debt that goes along with that yes. as well.
1: Yes, and, and and all that is so important, right, to build, Uh, a constituency, a a citizenry that is capable of doing many different things. And I'm very big on that. I'm very big on those opportunities, but I need the help of Lincoln and Omaha and the surrounding communities to get me from where we are today to where my vision wants to put us because this, this museum, we want to entertain, we want to educate and inspire. And if we can do that, bring people in the door of any age, and entertain them will get education kind of for free. They'll be being educated by whatever they're doing here, and we want them to walk out the door saying, wow, what a cool place that was. I'm inspired, I want to go back, right? Yeah, cool, very cool. Now, obviously, you've
0: had a career in engineering. Mm -hmm. Engineering has changed quite a bit over (laughs) the last, I don't know, three, four decades or whatever. What are some of the coolest things you have seen with regard to how engineering has changed? And do you see that reflected in the types of like the planes that we see around here? Is there a way to like make that really tangible for the people
1: walking in here? I think the answer is it has changed a lot. And yes, there is a way to make it tangible here. We're not there yet. Um, but the aircraft that we have here are vintage World War II-ish, you know, and Korean War and Vietnam Cold War. Cold War yeah. and War, And all that has changed, right? When I flew in a T-38 at NASA as a baby astronaut. Even the T-38 avionics and the capabilities changed over my 15 years as an astronaut. You know, we never had autopilot until the year I left. Oh, really? Right? And we had upgraded all of the displays in the the, uh, vehicle to this fancy electronic flight instrumentation system. And and even that's being outdated now, right? These pilots, they lay in a recliner in an (laughs) F-16 and they just move, squeeze a knob, right? They don't move a stick anymore. They just squeeze a knob. And they can make this plane do amazing things. So uh, that's part of why we're here. Technology advancement, improvement. We want to bring those ideas to this museum, like drones, for example. Drone technology is important. Robotic technology is important. And we do some of it here, but I don't think we do enough. Uh, And with our summer camp programs, our overnight programs, and all those various things... I want to do more in those realms with those type of activities. Cool. And I want it all interactive. <laughs> all right. Yeah,
0: good. Well, because that's what young people want. Absolutely. They want it interactive. So what is the coolest change you've seen over the last 30 years with regard to technology or engineering or anything related to
1: aerospace? I think for me, being a shuttle flyer and a space station flyer, just the simple things that uh, SpaceX and Elon Musk have brought to the table with iPads in space? I mean, I couldn't take an Apple... What f- uh, uh, was the iPod thing that used to play yeah. music? You couldn't take that on the space station. Why not? You could bring it on the shuttle, because it was certified on the shuttle, <laughs> but it wasn't certified to be on the ISS. What, thinkin- they, what kind of problems do they think it would cause? <laughs> that, <laughs> the battery, that, that the battery would ignite, or that it would oh, off-gas it. Okay. some smell. But, I mean, if you're going to certify it for the space shuttle, don't right. you think it's probably certifiable it's probably okay on the okay space, space station? station? Right. Yeah, But today Mm -hmm. those guys get in these amazing spacesuits that and and basic spacesuits are always the same right the technology is always the same the needs are the same it's just how you put it together and the snazzy spacex black and white spacesuit with the gloves that slide off and don't disconnect and slide back on all that's just to me blows my mind away not to mention the fact that they can now take their glove and touch an ipad just like we touch our iphones isn't that cool and that's Yeah, That's amazing. It saves weight, it saves electricity, it saves uh, temperature, right? Because they don't heat up like the big computers in the shuttle used to do. So, and that's a simple technology. Yeah. So where
0: do you think the technology over the next 10, 20, 30 years is going to go when it comes to space flight?
1: How do you see that progressing? I think the most important thing, and I don't think we've solved this yet, is we have to protect the human body from radiation in space. I'm all for hotels, I'm all for lunar bases and Mars bases, but if you're going to go to these places, you are going to be exposed outside of our atmosphere, which protects us for a long time. So somehow we need to protect the body from radiation. Okay, so that's a great question. What
0: is, like what is? Can you give us some relative things with regard to like how much radiation you're taking? Like you've been obviously up in space for 167 days. Mm-hmm. How much more did that expose you to radiation? Or if you're gonna like you know obviously the moon landings when we sent astronauts to the moon, how much more did that get? And then how much more is it if you were gonna send a man space to Mars for example, where now it's like a year and a half or something, right? Would mm-hmm. it be under mm-hmm. with current technology to get somebody to Mars? How much more would that be?
1: Yeah, I can't tell you the exact numbers, but relatively speaking, a person, that, a, a normal person on Earth that gets several x-rays throughout their life is, is a pretty low exposure right. to radiation. Uh, and it's an astro- back to the atmosphere for protection exactly. from that and, right? and plus, you, you schedule those, right? You only get a certain dose. They put a lead cover over your right. chest if they can to protect you. Uh, if you go to the space station, uh, you're still, you're outside the atmosphere, so your exposure is higher. But over my 167 days in space, the medical experts told me and showed me that my total exposure to radiation was relatively low. Would it be like three x-rays or something like that? Oh, it would be more than that. More than that, More than that, but but not as much.
0: More than you would get in a year. Yes,
1: and not as much as a breast cancer patient might get in their dealing with their breast cancer uh, situation. Okay. So... But I still don't know, right, inside me what's happened internally. It's possible that that radiation exposure, no matter how small it might have been, is still causing things Could to go wrong with my damage, DNA. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you go on a trip to Mars, six to nine months just to get there, six to nine months on the surface, six to nine months back, now you're talking a long three-plus-year period where you are pretty much exposed, unless we shield for it, you're pretty much exposed to radiation the entire time. Uh, and that's a high number or a higher number, but it's still not a deadly number, right? There's, you can get exposed to a certain level of radiation that's deadly, yeah. uh, but we're not even approaching that.
0: Right. But if you're talking about long-term mm-hmm. bases on the moon, for example, you're totally going to have to figure this out. Yes, absolutely.
1: Right? Absolutely. Can't be both there. That and the mental aspect, right? That's the other thing I don't think we're ready for is if you are you and I hop in a spaceship and we're gonna travel six to nine months to Mars. Yeah, we better get along pretty good. Exactly, <laughs> in, the, in the first couple of months will be good. We'll talk, we'll talk baseball, right. we'll talk Huskers, right? But then as you get further into it, and, and the other thing people don't realize is I saw the Earth every day from the space station. The That's shuttle so cool. sees the Earth every day. But if you get on a ship to Mars after about a week, you look back, where'd it go? Yeah. And you don't have that relationship with your home planet anymore. And I think that will weigh on people. Uh, I think the other issue that we have to deal with is is the the old uh, civilization issue, like men and women, uh, all the things that happen, uh, managers and subordinates, all those things that happen. Right? A lot of a lot of mental stress, a lot of things that go on, a lot of physical stress that we just I don't know that we know how to deal with yet yeah. for that totality of a time away from the planet.
0: Now, some people have tried to do these experiments, put up the geodesic domes Mm -hmm. and try to isolate themselves for months at a time and that sort of thing.
1: Has NASA actually
0: looked at any any of that data or looked at any of those people who are doing those kinds of studies to see what may impact somebody long-term from being isolated?
1: They do. Um, They're actually participants oftentimes in many of those types of studies. Um, You know, when you isolate people in Hawaii, for example, in in some kind of facility, I guess it works to a certain level. You know, I lived underwater for three weeks to to simulate that stressful environment with a small crew in a confined space. And so you do get some benefit from that, but it's never the same as when you're actually there. You know, if if you're in in some kind of habitat in Hawaii and God forbid your family's house is destroyed in a hurricane, I would imagine they're going to Stop the out. test and pull you, know you, know out, you out and let you do the your back thing. Of your mind, you always know, hey, I exactly. can always get out. Exactly, right. and I don't, I don't. It's not the same in space, especially on a trip to Mars that takes months.
0: Yeah, if you're going to Mars and you're halfway there and something mm-hmm. happens to your family, you're like, yeah, sorry, you're
1: right. going to Mars, and they'll bring you back. And you can say that callously, right? But yeah. how do you personally deal with that, and how does that affect the relationship with the rest of your crew and your performance of of your objectives, right, for the rest of the mission?
0: Well, okay, so. I think that's a great point, but haven't humans done this before, right? I mean, you think about sure. the whaling crews that left Nantucket and were gone for three years at a time before they saw their family again, right? So humans have done this before, maybe not losing their connection with their home planet, but certainly being away from their families for extended periods of times. And
1: yeah, it's not, certainly doable. Not even be able to communicate it, frankly. Right. It's, it's doable, I think. Uh, I don't know that we know all the ins and outs, but yeah, I mean, the human is an amazing thing. Uh, Our brain is adaptable. It's developing all the time. Uh, Even our bodies do the same, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The more you run a whaling ship, right, the stronger and more powerful you got to do the tasks you needed to do on that whaling ship. So uh, I think that's a a key thing that will help us figure all this out. Yeah, okay, cool. So
0: we talked a little, you mentioned a couple of this, like uh, Jeff Bezos and SpaceX and Mm -hmm. so forth. Talk to me a little bit about how you see the what I'll call is the old model for doing space exploration where the government funded everything and was in charge of everything versus kind of this new space, new age of, you know, commercial space exploration. I guess maybe it's not space flights, but it's probably a better way mm-hmm. to phrase it. But you have private companies that are doing it. Talk to me about kind of the pros and cons with that. Do you think it's a good thing for the space program? You know, where do you where do you see this going?
1: My bottom line is I think it's a good thing for the space program. I would ask people to think back to Kitty Hawk in 1903 when Wilbur and Orville flew their Wright flyer 122 feet across the sand back in 1903. Uh, turns out that's the same length, by the way, of the shuttle nose to the end of the shuttle oh, tail. Oh, really? Yeah. For those bar bets you want to win later on <laughs> down the <road>. line. <laughs> But if you think about that analogy, those guys never had any idea that we could get on an airplane and we could fly to Abu Dhabi and we could sleep on the plane. We could shower on the plane. We could eat on the plane, do the Internet on the plane. We could watch movies and TV on the plane. We could even go to a bar on the plane, perhaps, Man. if it's the right model, <laughs> and have an adult beverage. Well, and within a couple of decades, actually flying across the Atlantic. Yes. You'd
0: so going 122 feet versus flying across the Atlantic.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and nobody... Envisioned that. Right. So we're kind of at that precipice, I think, with Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic and SpaceX in that Blue Origin is doing exactly what John or what uh, Alan Shepard did in 1961, except they're doing it in a way fancier vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing it with way more fanfare. Um, I guess it's probably a safe, maybe safer than what Alan Shepard did but it's expensive and until that cost comes down people are yelling oh space is for everyone space that's not true yeah. space is for those who can afford to go right now just like in the old days getting on an airplane for the first time probably cost you a little coin yeah and most and people couldn't people afford used it. to dress up people used to wear suits mm-hmm. to get on
0: airplanes now remember absolutely yeah because yeah. yeah. it was
1: a big deal and now it's not yeah uh, but in space, it will be a big deal right they get a fancy sp- suit from Bezos or from uh, SpaceX and they get interviewed on TV and and they 're very famous, which is all good but you know the, the word cash or not <laughs> jumps to mind because it 's very expensive to get a seat like that yeah. So, but do you think that that's
0: part of then this road of eventually technology does get cheaper? Yes. And it opens up to more people
1: being able to take advantage of it? That would be my hope. Um, even in America today, there are people that cannot afford to get on one of those airplanes and fly from uh, Omaha down to Houston, for example. But the majority can. Mm-hmm. And if they want to badly enough, they can save up a little money and be able to afford the trip and, and, and do it the right way and we're going to get there with this commercial space uh we are going to get to the point where it becomes cheaper in price now how cheap i don't know but it will drop eventually and that then affords it to many other people and the more people that do it and do it successfully without any accidents the better it will be but that's the other piece of this that we don't talk about is statistically uh Nobody knew the shuttle would fail two times in 135 missions, but we did. Yeah, which is a pretty high failure rate. Right? Exactly. And, <clears throat> if, and, and statistically, these guys are going to fail somewhere down the line. And are they going to fail with a payload that they're launching or a science experiment? Not as big a deal. But if they put a crew on there and fail, that will be a big deal. Yeah. And it will slow things down. Will it stop things? Probably well, not. We've It'll already seen that,
0: for example, with Virgin Galactic, because they mm-hmm. had that engine failure that ended up killing uh, one of their one pilots. Yeah. huh. And so they've, you know, again, and that slowed down their development. Right. right?
1: But at least, though, they're still doing it. right? And that's what's important. You know, they're rich. Are they going to pick their bucket of money up and go home and take their baseball and leave? I don't know. Hopefully Mm -hmm. they'll say, we can fix this. We're going to fix this. It's tragic, but we're going to move on and move forward. And that's what we need from those type of entrepreneurs to make commercial hotels and lunar bases and all that good stuff Uh, reality in the future. Yeah.
0: And solving the whole radiation thing, because again, you don't want to send people up into space to a hotel and then have them sue you later because they got cancer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there'll be an out in the contract.
0: All right. Yeah. There'll probably be a disclaimer on that one. So anybody who's looking to fly, that's probably going to have, you probably have to sign off on that before you go up. (laughs) So what about, you know, and we've talked a lot about passenger spaceflight, mm-hmm. but what about some of the other opportunities? That, you know, you mentioned, for example, mining asteroids. But what are some of the other commercial aspects that will benefit from the government not having a monopoly on space travel? What are like, commercial mm-hmm. space
1: development? I think... Uh, that's probably not my wheelhouse, but knowing what I do know uh, about things like microgravity and, and the development of pharmaceuticals and things that are not affected by gravity, right? It, to build a crystal, for example, on Earth in a gravity field is a lot different than building a crystal in space with no gravity. And so the purification of that crystal goes way up when you're yeah, you doing get it a much in space.
0: More, yeah, if it's weightless and you get a much more symmetrical More or uniform. uniform uh-huh. yeah.
1: and, and those kind of things, I imagine, uh, not being a pharmaceutical person, but those things will help us advance uh, our knowledge in those fields. And anything we do, and I'm a big, big proponent of this, space is an investment. So anything we do in space will eventually come back to help humans on Earth. Uh, and you can search NASA spin-offs. you can yeah. Google it all over the place and find out about invisible braces. Well, Tang. Oh, and ta- right. Well, <laughs> it's called flavored drink. We can't call it Tang because we can't endorse it. But, okay. uh, but all those sort of things, you know, the Valmont Private Irrigation has NASA technology no in it. No kidding. Yeah. And the, uh, I don't know if you know about the artificial sow that was invented that were Piglets could all feed, you know, no. a, a sow typically has more piglets, I guess, than she has teats. And so if you have an artificial sow, it allows you all can, of them to all nurse. The they can all be healthy. Um, your The Air Jordan basketball shoes was in part designed off of the lunar boot sole technology. Cool. Yeah. So there's lots of cool things like that that benefit everybody here.
0: Yeah. Okay. So a lot of spin-offs again from the mm-hmm. types of investments that go up into space. Uh, one of the things again, just kind of tying back to your mission here is, if you got it inexpensive enough, you could actually allow schools to do experiments and mm-hmm. say, you know, just um, baking bread in space. You know, allowing it, uh,
1: the yeast to uh, raise the dough, and it would be a pretty close to a perfect circle. I'm guessing if it was. Right. Yeah, I right. would, That's- and it, you do the same thing with fluids. And, and one of the projects that NASA has going is actually to allow kids to design meals for astronauts. So one of the things I'd like to do here with our cafeteria I mean, with lots staff, lots of peanut butter and jelly no, and sprinkles. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 I mean actual. <laughs> That's goods, what my kids would have done actual actual if they were good stuff, <laughs> right? I mean, the the Italians do it. The French do it. They've already sent the Japanese do it. They've sent special meals up to their astronauts, and, and you know, and I got Fiesta chicken. Yeah, you know, and.
0: Broccoli, so you're saying the other cheese. astronauts were
1: eating better? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was really good. And you couldn't trade with them? I could. Yeah. But sometimes they are very protective. Yeah. But if, if you can do, if kids can get involved in that, right, culinary arts is, is cool. Yeah. And to be able to do it for a space program. And again, something, again, you don't need a four-year degree for it. Exactly. Exactly. Right. You just need passion for what you're doing and, and the willingness to to get after it. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of a
0: cool. Again, another great example of where you could be involved in space mm-hmm. and not have to, you know, have
1: an engineering degree or a physics degree or something like that. Or clothing design, right? Yeah. You know, my spacesuits were, I guess, for for that time in my existence, they were cool, but some of them now are even cooler. And and what the astronauts wear on board the International Space Station is way cooler than what I had. Right. Right. <laughs> and more comfortable. <clears throat> and they have these amazing fabrics that don't let you sweat as much and just. It's crazy. So, but
0: getting back to this, those are some examples when you're talking about, you know, the the things like whether it's clothing or Mm -hmm. food or science experiments. Those are all things that you could incorporate back into this museum. Absolutely. To give young people kind of that hands-on experience. Absolutely. So if NASA was going to allow young people to be able to design some of those meals, you could actually do kind of a cooking class here for young people and say, hey, Mm -hmm. let's design a meal.
1: Yep. And there are contests, NASA hosts <clears throat> contests where the kids do their thing. So locally, we, we would bring school kids in, uh, we would coach them, we would nurture them, we would work with them, and they'd have a competition, and we'd invite people like you to come judge the results. And then the winner then moves on, just like in a robotic competition, to the next level. And eventually, their stuff could possibly be on a spaceship <clears throat> going to the moon or wherever we go. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah.
0: And, and then the opportunity is not just with NASA, too, right? It's all mm-hmm. the other private companies that are out there doing this sort of thing yes. where you could have relationships with them to be able to do science experiments or
1: the same sort of thing. And none of them are reinvent the wheel, right? They're all smart enough <clears throat> and uh, fiscally responsible enough that they know if there are things out there they can piggyback on, that's what they're going to do.
0: Yeah, very cool. Mm-hmm. So now you mentioned next year is the 25th anniversary right? for the museum here what kind of plans do you have for next year?
1: Well, we're in the, in the throes of developing all this. Uh, we have a tentative date for the gala. Um, we have tentative ideas for what we want to do. Um, but the hope is, is that that event will be used to announce our new vision for the next 25 years. That's kind of a secret right now. (laughs) All right, we're not gonna we're not gonna give you like. But I'm happy to come back and talk about it later. (laughs) Um, But you know, we have some cool ideas in mind and uh, some plans that we think are going to be pretty neat to revitalize the museum, to bring new things to the museum. Um, And we talked about, for example, the Challenger Center or some of the other ideas. but I need, that, I need that support from the Omaha, Lincoln, surrounding communities who want this museum to be a gem of the Midwest because that's what I want. Yeah. I want it to be the best in the Midwest, and I want it to have national acclaim. Uh, I want people from all over the country to want to come here. Yeah. And hey... If the astronaut's around, he might have signed an autograph for him. There you go. Very cool. (laughs) All right, so now talking about what are some of your big draws
0: right now, because you do have some of those simulators right now, right? Mm -hmm. You do have flight simulators. What are some of your big draws for the museum for... You know, when people come here, what are the exhibits or the activities that are the most popular?
1: Well, it's, it's hard to hear now, but there's a lot of noise going over on the other side of those few airplanes, which is the Children's Center, where there's lots of interactive games and things they can play with. Um, but some of the bigger draws are the simulators. That's one of our big revenue generators. Uh, our cafe has made incredible strides over the last several years to become a better uh, food service venue. Uh, we have amazing Docents and tour guides here, right? So you can get private tours, you can get group tours, uh, we can have overnight sleepovers with Boy Scouts, and yeah, we that's can cool. have churches sleepover. Uh, we have summer camps that are going on right now with kids robotics from all over the area them, right? robotics <clears throat> camp, drone camp. Um, we have member uh, activities, member breakfasts, member lunches, those sort of things. And we're looking to partner with some other people in the area to do some things that they haven't done here before. Cool. So
0: as you're thinking about this stuff, I know you, you continue to look at new things from the museum. You've mentioned that you've got a restoration area right now. I mentioned that the British Vulcan bomber that's back mm-hmm. there. What are some of the restoration projects you have going on right now?
1: Uh, we just brought in
0: uh, a MiG-23. Where would you get a MiG-23? You know, I'm, cool. not,
1: I'm not sure where we <clears throat> got it, but I know that I helped translate some of the writing on the outside of the airplane. Really? Play. Which was pretty cool. All right. I didn't think I could do it, but I actually made it through and, and got some of them knocked out. That was kind of fun. I, I hate. all right, so, Clayton. Can't you just take your phone and use Google Translate? Да, конечно, но я что это очень лучше, если Клей говорили об на airplane. What does that mean? That means, yeah, you can Google it. (laughs) 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 But it's better if Clay reads and tells you what's on the airplane.
0: (laughs) Okay, very good. All right, so you got a MiG 23, which is pretty cool. MiG
1: 23, the Vulcan bomber, which is a European aircraft. Uh, That one's going to need a lot of work. It's pretty cool to go inside. Um, Yeah, it's a big plane. Yeah, it is. It's huge. But if you go inside where the humans are, (laughs) it's very tiny.
0: It isn't very big. I actually saw one of those slides, as mentioned earlier. It is hugely loud. Like yes. when they were doing, they were kind of doing, everyone was Touch Touching Ghosts, but they were flying low over the runway, and then they'd turn up the engines, and it was just like Oof. deafening.
1: Yeah. Sound of freedom. There you go. But uh, we have a uh, an F-117, a Nighthawk in there. Oh, cool. That's uh It's, it's in a, I'm t- I think it's like the third of the way through of its rehab, right, where they've sanded it all down. It's really shiny now, but they have to redo the outside. Um, Let's see what else we have. We have a couple other ones in there. We used to have a football team called the Nighthawks uh-huh. in Omaha. So. I know. It, they bring it back. They bring, bring them back. Bring them back, and they can the do a photo back, yeah. op yeah. and, you know, donate some money. There you go. <laughs> but it's, that's one of the cool things. When I, when I first got here, I came down every morning to the restoration hangar, and I met the guys that come in that dedicate their hours, that volunteer to come restore these aircraft. And they're pretty dedicated. They're pretty fun. <laughs> they're cool. very fun. And uh, they like coffee. <laughs> and they work very hard. And, and so to see the looking glass over here that was recently restored after thousands of hours of work and thousands of dollars, and then to bring those volunteers to the museum for the grand opening of that aircraft yeah. is a pretty special event. Um, you know, for kids today, I think it's harder for them to understand these aircraft and, and what they stand for and how much pride the men and women that work on them or flew in them uh, have for those aircraft. Uh, I hope we can bring some of that to these kids Damn. by bringing them in the museum and exposing them to what goes on, which is why I like really like that idea of having kids, young people restore, do do little easy Damn. restoration tasks on something that we don't necessarily care about if we screw it up.
0: Yeah. Actually, well, you know, there's, there's a museum, uh, I think it's just across the border in South Dakota, in Western South Dakota, but it's also an archeological dig. And one of the things you can do is come in and help them. Uh, well, it's not archeological, it's paleontologi- paleontological, mm-hmm. so it's, you know, ancient animals, right? But, uh, but again, you can come in as a kid and help, un, you
1: know, yeah. dig away some of the dirt from the bones and things like that. And that's awesome, right? Because kids <clears> are doing something with their hands, they're being entertained, They're being educated, and they're going to walk away from there thinking, man, I'm inspired. I could do this for my career. Yeah, it's kind of cool thing. Uh, And and I'm all about that. I mean, if I could do that, if I could snap my fingers here and tomorrow have it change, I would want that. I would want kids coming in here, putting their hands on something and doing something that fires them up so much, they walk out of here and tell their parents, I want to do that. I want to go to college and learn how to do that. Cool.
0: Cool. All right, now we got the spacesuit behind us. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about the spacesuit and a little bit of difference between the the Russian one that you wore
1: here versus the NASA one. So the suit behind me is the Russian Sokol suit. So anytime you fly up to space or back home from space on a Russian Soyuz rocket, you have to put that bad boy on. And you actually have to put it on anytime you get into their capsule. So when I was living on the station in 2007— we were going to undock the Soyuz from the bottom of the station and fly it around and dock it in the back. So we were changing parking spaces. And in order to do that, we had to put the suit on. So I get to claim factually, correctly, that I... Flew in a Soyuz wearing my Sokol suit, right? Which makes some of my colleagues mad because they didn't get that opportunity. <laughs> I They're did a jelly. Yes, I did uh. not launch on the Soyuz or <laughs> land in the Soyuz, so it was cool to put it on. Uh, so it protects you in the event of a disaster going up or downhill, much like the U.S. version, which is the orange pumpkin suit people may be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have an orange pumpkin suit here in the museum. It's very hard hint, hint, to get one from the US government. Help yes, yeah, I, am. I am here, Clayton Anderson, yeah. astroclay at sacmuseum.org. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to have one, but it's really hard to get stuff from the US government, <laughs> as you, you probably I know. Can, I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. But uh, those two suits do the same function, and like we were talking about before. Most spacesuits function the same way. It's just how you piece it together, what you make it look like in order to, to capture the needs of the suit. Um, we used to have right in front of us here, we've loaned my uh, Pharrell suit, which is my water survival suit in Russia, and my cold weather suit, survival suit from Russia. Those have been loaned to the Omaha Children's Museum, who's doing a space unit right now at their facility. And somebody backed out on a uh, on a exhibit or something, so they asked us if we would loan them mine. And so cool. they're not here today, but they're still serving the what were the purposes the of those suits? Were they just uh, in storage in the capsule in case you landed in water, landed yes. off-target so the, of where you're supposed to be? The Russians mm-hmm. were so clever, they, they tied these things up in little sausage Sized packages right they were so tightly packed and if you did ditch or if you had a bad day and you came down in siberia or in a water uh, lake or ocean or a forest or the desert you had the gear within your spaceship to survive and so the trout suit the pharrell means trout in russian and so you put that rubber suit on if you're going to jump out in the water and then you had the cold weather suit which didn't all really work that great yeah (laughs) but that's what you wore if you landed in the in siberia in the winter time okay so (laughs) hopefully it would extend you a long
0: enough for somebody to come and
1: get you they told us that we only needed 48 hours that if we could survive for 48 hours they would guarantee they'd come pick us up okay and that's what our training was we had to survive for 24 hours uh, Weight forty-eight? You mean? Or forty-eight? Sorry. <laughs> and the <that, laughs> yeah, family training for twenty-four. Right. You had to wait forty-eight. Forty-eight. There's but, a little gap there. My uh, experience with that one was uh, it was still tedious. <laughs> uh, we had enough rations for uh, forty-eight hours, and I went through one package. As a matter of fact, I think the other package I've donated here to the museum, but it's not on display yet. So mm-hmm. uh, survival training is kind of a pain. So you didn't even eat all the food they gave you in the nope. survival training? Nope. Uh, I was so cold, <laughs> I didn't really think much about eating. but And if you eat, you get warm for a second, and then you get cold again once the calories start to to burn. Right. Um, but the good thing about the Russian survival, they'll let you build a fire. In the American version, you couldn't build a fire. Why not? Uh, protect the environment, all those good things, right? And, and Too Right, because if
0: I'm trying to survive out in the Siberia or any place else that's uh-huh. really cold... I'm not really worried about what's happening to the environment. i what about me. I know.
1: <laughs> I know. But we, had, we did have a little stove we could heat stuff with, but you had to build a shelter, and that shelter was designed to keep you warm uh, without fire. And those are the techniques they taught us, right? To try to survive without having to do the other. And so the fire starting class that you had to take that on
0: <laughs> on your own—that you, was an outside that class. That was on my own. You or in Russia, a, I got
1: I got I got revalidated yeah. in Russia with a clay, no, пожар" need a fire.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, t- talk me a little bit about the difference between the U.S. program and the, and the Russian program with regard to training and what they might emphasize mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing.
1: When I was doing it back in the early 2000s, um, this. The philosophies are very similar, right? We have to teach the system knowledge, like the electrical system or the the thruster system, the propulsion system, the computer system, you have to learn all that. And we do that the same way, right, with little uh, system simulators that then get integrated into bigger simulators that have multiple systems working together. They throw failures at us and make sure that we respond according to the right. procedures properly. So those philosophies so are the, the same. same. The, difference, the biggest difference was the Russian simulator was not available all the time. In America, you know, we'd go into the shuttle sim in the morning, and other crew going in the afternoon. You'd do it five days a week, and right, you were racking out simulator hours all over the place. The Russians, we basically went in once for the week, hmm. and then they would turn it around for the guys the next week. <laughs> so that makes your training drag way right. out. Um, but survival training and the fun things, you know, water training was cool. Uh, we were in the Black Sea off a huge ship learning how to jump out of the Soyuz. That was kind of fun in July. Um, And that would be different from what the U.S.
0: space program would teach because you weren't planning on doing that on the space shuttle or whatever. Right. Right. And we had
1: similar aspects, though. We had to do survival training in water because if the T-38, for example, bailed over the Gulf of Mexico and you had to parachute down to the Gulf— You'd have to know how to do your life raft and your floaties and and get to your food and your flares. All those things. So again, the philosophies are very similar. Sometimes the methodology is different.
0: Yeah. Now there are opportunities there to bring some of that training aspect to the museum as well. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Sure. Actually, uh, we do it at Iowa State already. We have a space flight operations workshop that uh, begins in August where we'll bring 12 crew members two crews of six and they'll get scuba certified they'll jump out of an airplane they'll fight a fire on the space station in virtual reality they'll taxi take off and land an airplane in, in on a simulator and they'll do four days of survival training in minnesota oh, cool. so yeah we can bring that here
0: do something like that for i'm trying again I'm trying to think for the general public we can mm-hmm. bring in camps your know, summer camps and sure stuff like that and do things like that corporate really cool. groups or corporate group? do oh yeah team, team building team, team building and yeah. stuff like that yeah Oh, lots of great ideas. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. I got a million of them. All right. <laughs> Good deal. Well, you just got here. Just so. need money.
1: All right, there you go. <laughs>
0: well, that's part of your job, right? You yes, go it out. is. You go it is sell. a big part of my job. Go and and raise money. I look
1: forward to that, right? Because, you know, there have been some great executive directors and presidents and CEOs here, but not a one of them was a U.S. astronaut. And so yeah. that's the one thing I bring to the table that none of them can bring, and I hope it's a bargaining chip. And, a, and, a, and it just, I mean, it's an icebreaker, right? If I walk into a room full of governors, Man. I say, hey, I'm the astronaut from Nebraska, and we can immediately start talking about stuff, yeah. right? And, and I'm not intimidated by that. Uh, I actually look forward to those opportunities, and I'm looking forward to meeting any and everyone in the Omaha and Lincoln area uh, the Chambers of Commerce, the, the Kiwanis Club, the Rotary, uh, Duncan Aviation, <clears throat> uh, anyone <laughs> who <laughs> I can meet with to talk about my vision for this museum. Cool. All right, so anything else that we didn't cover with
0: regard to the museum, your vision? Future space flight. Anything else that uh, we you wanted to cover that we didn't get a chance to cover?
1: Well, we're open right now. Summer's a great time for the museum to to be out here. Uh, there are camps going so what are your hours on that are available. Uh, nine to five currently, um, and we're open Monday th- uh, every day of the week. Yeah. So uh, it's a great opportunity to take a break. And, and hey, you can do the what I call the F- Exit 426 Triple Play. You can come here and go to Mahoney Park, and you can go to the Simmons uh, Wildlife Safari. Right. All at the Three same exit. Off the same exit, all Ralph interstate in the 80, day, and Then you can drive into Ashland, yeah. you can go to Cheerios and have some ice cream, and you can walk some of the boutiques on Silver Street, and you can go see where Clay Anderson was grew up in on 1518 Euclid Street. Okay, <laughs> very good, very good. I'm shameless, sorry, Governor. <laughs> no, that's part of what you're supposed to do here. Same, shameless self-promotion.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in fact, uh, what I usually do right about now is say, hey, thank you very much for um, tuning in for another episode of The Nebraska Way. You can follow me at govrickets on Twitter, like us on Facebook, Instagram. Of course, you can always email me at pete.rickets and send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And, of course, if you have the opportunity, go ahead and give us those great five-star ratings so we can get more people <laughs> to tune in. See how we did that. that uh, nicely, done, yeah. nicely done, Governor. Nicely done. How
1: would people be able to follow you and the museum? So two ways. Well, actually three. I'll give you three. Astroclay at sacmuseum.org is my email. Uh, we love to have you reach out to our you website. you use the Astroclay a lot. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's kind of it's branding, Governor Ricketts. Yes. That's, 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 that's good. <laughs> yes. That's good. And, and it works well. Uh, and that's my Twitter handle, my Facebook, my Instagram, my TikTok.
0: Astro, Astro Clay? Astro
1: Clay. Yeah, if you Google Astro Clay, you'll find everything you need. My website's astroclay.com. The museum website is um, sacmuseum.org, and you can f- www.sacmuseum.org. And uh, we love to have people give feedback through the website and let us know what we're doing well, but also let us know what we're not doing so well, because I'd surely like to get it fixed. Great,
0: awesome. And then any big events you got coming up here in the next year? So this is. Well, Half we have halfway a, uh, through 2022 here. You got anything that is currently going on or that will be coming up that people should be on the lookout for?
1: Uh, we just opened a new exhibit ex- exhibit here at the museum, Why People Keep Things. <laughs> okay. And it's now pretty I cool. I tell you why I keep stuff. Ex- because well, you might need it someday. Well, oh, you're a pack rat. <laughs> I am kind of, yeah. But we have there's some it, cool way. stuff in there. Yeah. I understand that. <laughs> um, my wife's getting rid of stuff as we speak. Um, but we have that new exhibit. Uh, we're, we have a family fun carnival coming up for members. Uh, we're looking to the future you, you know, and trying to decide where we are in our capability to, to pull things off. But we've got uh, one exhibit, a traveling exhibit coming in that's called Above and Beyond. Uh, we, cool. That doesn't I come that for a little. Here. That'll be here next year. OK. But, but yeah, we have some big ideas for those things too.
0: Cool. Well, hey, thank you again for making the time for a second round of The Nebraska Way, so the second time you've been on the podcast. Appreciate it. Glad to have you back in Nebraska. Glad this thank all you, worked sir. out. That We got the full-time gig for you here in your hometown. That's pretty awesome. It is. And uh, look forward to seeing what you're all going to be doing with uh, the museum here. It's, uh, it is a great resource. Like I said, when I was a kid, I remember going to the old one, and that was cool back then, I thought. Even though the concrete was cracked and the planes were all outside <laughs> and it was really hot in the summer when you were out looking around those but this is uh, just a beautiful facility here so if you haven't had a chance if our viewers haven't had a chance it's a great place to come like i said open nine to five uh every day of the week you ever close on christmas or new year's or anything yeah like that? we
1: do the the standard uh thanksgiving and christmas and easter closures yeah but, but every other time hey, you come, fly the, fly come the simulator. on and, and you may run into an astronaut here and if you do there's photo ops and uh, you can go into the gift shop and purchase a book and get it autographed or a picture. Cool. I mean, holy cow. And, and all, all the museums
0: go. don't have that. And all the proceeds go to running the museum here. Exactly. Right That's back awesome. in the bucket. All right. Hey, well, thanks a lot, Clayton. I appreciate it. And again, thank you all very much for tuning in to another episode of the Nebraska way. Thank you. Paid for by Pete Ricketts for governor 1610 N street suite 100 Lincoln, Nebraska 68508.